The presenting sponsor of the Millennial Politics Podcast is Tomka Designs, a company that I personally support. Tomka was established by two aid workers and a fashion designer who were sick and tired of seeing Western brands exploiting the people and places where clothing is made. They literally traveled the world to dig deep into fashion manufacturing, visiting fabric mills and factories, and handpicking the most ethical partners before a single piece of clothing was made. The best part about Tomga is that, aside from being a positive impact business, their designs are stunning. If you're like me, you'll fall in love with their colorful prints and impossibly soft, eco-friendly fabrics. If you go to www.tomgadesigns.com, that's T-A-M-G-A Designs, you can try it out for yourself. And if you use the discount code MP15, our friends at Tomga will give you 15% off. Welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Valerie. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And today I'm joined by Joe Schiavone, Ohio State Senator and Democratic candidate for Ohio governor. Thanks for coming on, Joe. Hey, Jordan. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, we're glad to have you. Could you tell us about your background and how you ended up deciding to run for governor? Yeah, of course. I'm from the Youngstown area, which is uh, Northeast Ohio. Some people refer to it as the Rust Belt. You know, I grew up in a place where, you know, steel was the king in the 50s, 60s, 70s, but I was born in 1979. And by the time I was born, all the steel mills had just started the process of shutting down. So growing up in this area, I saw a lot of people moving. I saw a lot of people fearing for their future in the valley when it came to manufacturing. But recently, I saw, I've seen people starting to come together to talk about how we can rebuild communities like Youngstown. You know, I uh, grew up here and I fought in the Golden Gloves. I worked in local butcher shops. I worked in steel fabrication shops, worked on landscaping crews and construction crews and worked jobs like most Ohioans work uh, growing up. And so that's the kind of thing that I'm relating to people in a real way in this state, not just people in my hometown, but there's people like me in so many communities. There's places like Youngstown across this state and across this country. It's about straight talk. It's about working hard. It's about showing people that you have plans to give them better opportunities in life. You know, that's what my father and my grandfather taught me. And that's the way that I operate. So what are your plans to give people better opportunities in life? What is your platform and your central message? So it's all about jobs on the front end, right? So you have to make sure that you're investing in a state that is a place where job creators want to come. And I'll kind of get into it a little bit. The way that I see this is we have a problem with broadband, reliable internet in the state of Ohio. So the first step is to make the necessary investment so that every person in Ohio has access to quality, high-speed internet. We also have industrial brownfields all over the state that are abandoned steel mills, abandoned manufacturing places. As a state, we need to take ownership of this problem. We need to invest in the cleanup of this. And in the meantime, while we're expanding broadband, cleaning up our land, we need to make improvements in underground clean water issues so that we have 
updated systems underneath the ground so we don't have any water contamination problem. And at the same time we do that, we're building roads and bridges so that we have an infrastructure where businesses from all over the country and all over the world want to come to Ohio. Now, once you get them to come, you have to simultaneously train your workforce so that they know that you have skilled workers that are ready to fill those positions. That way, that's then people see that vision. So it's about educating people from an early age about giving them the skills necessary in order to fill those jobs, but also attracting those job creators by cleaning up your state and showing them that you mean business in Ohio. And I think we can do this. So, of course, a big part of job training and preparing people for the future is education. What are you interested in doing as governor and what have you done as a state senator to promote education? Yeah, I've been on the education committee uh, since I started in 2009. You know, I was a 29-year-old guy that didn't have any political experience then. But what I knew was we had to give kids from every community a real opportunity. And the state has this screwed up system where they've allowed all these for-profit charter schools to come in and make money off kids. Electronic schools come in, make money off kids. So all of the stuff that I've worked on in the Senate is about accountability and transparency for all kinds of different schools. If you want to be an educator in the state of Ohio, and I'm the governor, you must follow the same rules as the public school down the street. It's simple stuff. I'm open to different different kinds of education. I'm open to change. I'm open to creativity. But with that being said, there has to be accountability and transparency because this for-profit model, when you make profit the goal of education, that education isn't the goal anymore. And we've seen that so many different times in Ohio. I've had seven or eight different bills in the General Assembly since 2011 in order to try to right that ship. And I think we're finally making progress because people are starting to see that their taxpayer dollars are being wasted on a lot of these for-profit charter entities. You have a lot of experience introducing a lot of bills in the state Senate. What are your greatest legislative achievements so far? Well, I think when we get to education, none of the education bills that I've proposed have passed with my name on it. But if you look at all of the accountability and transparency bills that passed in 2015 with the Republicans' names on it, that was my stuff, right? But they're in charge, so they take the ideas and they put their name on it. You know, we put accountability and transparencies in for ECOT, Electronic Classroom of Tomorrow. ECOT just recently closed down because the state finally clamped down and asked them for some information that was vitally important that I've been asking for for three years. So I think a lot of those accomplishments may not have my name on it, but they're very, very meaningful. I also really pushed for land bank legislation back in 2010. Basically, when you have a land bank in your community, you can turn over all of these blighted properties, you can turn over all of these dilapidated properties to the counties, have them make them free and clear of their liens, and you can turn them over easy. Again, that had Republican names on it, because I was in the deep minority then too. But I don't really care. You know, it's not about credit. It's about making a difference in people's lives. And so there's a ton of different ways that I can point to of things that I've done that might not have my name on it, but that's life. So uh, those are a couple. So one reason you are in such a deep minority is intense gerrymandering in your state. What do you hope to do to deal with this, especially with the coming census in which Donald Trump and his administration are hoping to not count certain people and rig it 
to favor Republicans. So last year, I spent a lot of time working on state redistricting for our own state for the state lines. I worked with Republicans on that, and I think we got something sensible to get to the voters, and it passed overwhelmingly 70%. But that was only for the state lines because the Republicans didn't want to touch the federal lines for Congress. This year, I'm pushing. We're going through hearings currently in the General Assembly about gerrymandering for congressionals. I'm trying to work with Republicans on it. They're not really willing to give a lot on it because they have such a lead. So we may have to go into really pushing grassroots efforts, signature campaigns, because the state of Ohio allows for initiative and referendum. It doesn't require the General Assembly to do something. So sometimes when politicians won't do something, the people need to speak up and they need to actually take action and ownership. And I think that's what's going to happen in Ohio with gerrymandering and redistricting. With so much inaction in the legislature, how do you break that up and create a state legislature that's making progress along with your office? So it's about working first and fighting second. Even when, you know, you get the screws put to you a couple of days down there in Columbus, you got to suck it up, have thick skin, be tough and come back down there and try to work to get things done for the people that elected you. Because that's what the ultimate goal is. It's to help people. It's to change life for the better. It's not for your own political gain or career. So what I do is, you know, I have a clean water bond bill that's co-sponsored with Republicans. That broadband bill that I talked about, those two are currently pending co-sponsored sponsored by Republicans. I have a bill in order to get to, you know, charge people criminally for revenge porn that I just put out yesterday. I'm going to I think I'm going to have the president of the Senate working with me on that. Like you got to protect people and you got to always try to make sure that you are working with the other side first. Now, if you know anything about me or you check any videos, you'll see that I will fight to the death on certain issues. You know, they've really, the Republican majority has really taken it to working class people when it comes to workers' rights. I've really fought for that. They've tried to pass and, and been um, successful in passing many anti-choice bills that I've stood up on the Senate floor and fought. So there's a lot of issues where you're not going to agree and you have to fight, but you, you always have to try to work first. And if we have balance and have a Democratic government, if I'm the governor, I will try to work with the Republican House and Senate, but they also know that they need me to sign the bill or they would have to override that that signature. And that's a difficult situation because they have to get two thirds of the body. So there's a lot of balance stuff that plays, but it's really about personality. And I think the Republicans in Ohio know that for the most part, I am a workable person. That's what people want. That's what people are driven to. And that's what I try to be. Another top issue for your campaign and across the nation is the opioid epidemic. What is your approach to this crisis? So with the opioid problem, there's no doubt that it's huge and it is a crisis. People are dying every single day. Some counties have to get refrigeration trucks parked out in front of their morgue because they don't have room there. And that's not an exaggeration. So I've put forward a bill that would tap into Ohio rainy day fund. We have $2 billion sitting in a checking account in the state of Ohio that the governor won't touch. I proposed a bill that would allocate 10% of those dollars to go three places. One, education for young people. Two, police on the ground so that we have an 
enough people, especially in these rural areas, enough law enforcement officials to be able to fulfill the needs of the community when it comes to dealing with overdoses, but also general protection of the people that live there. But the lion's share of the dollars that I'm talking about would be invested in rehabilitation and not just 30 days and out. We're talking about job retraining. We're talking about transitional housing. We're talking about investing in foster care. We're trying to link people's lives back together and reconnect them after they're broken. So we have to save lives, but at the same time, we have to help the thousands and thousands of families that are dealing with addiction. I'm the only candidate that has an opioid plan that is sensible, reasonable, and doable. And it's something that I think we can get done. So something that a lot of folks have pointed out is the difference between how the opioid crisis and drug crises for people of color have been treated. When it comes to people of color, we saw hyper-incarceration and criminalization especially for the black community. When it comes to white people, we see sympathy, a national effort to help end the crisis. What will you do for the other side of the coin, the criminalized and incarcerated communities of color who haven't seen the same sympathy? When I go to urban communities across the state, I get asked that every single day. And I say to them, I can't right the wrongs of past legislators, but I promise them that I will right the wrongs today moving forward. So when it comes to opiates, when it comes to whatever drug might be next, you know, this is not a black and white issue. It was in the past when it came to crack and and powder cocaine. This affects everybody and we need to treat it like a crisis that affects everybody. And in the future, I will always be sensitive to that idea so we don't repeat the wrongs in the past. Something California did recently regarding this is first legalize marijuana, but also make it possible for folks who were incarcerated because of marijuana charges to have their record expunged. Is this something you would be interested in doing as governor? Yeah, in Ohio, we just recently passed a medical marijuana uh, provision. And so Starting next year, the grow sites will be up and running. There will be dispensaries across the state. I think that it is anytime you can, you know, derive some sort of medical benefit from an oil from a plant, I think we should do it. And I, and I oftentimes say that, you know, we're not, we didn't, we didn't go all the way with this, but it is a step in the right direction. You know, I, I, we changed some laws this year about marijuana. Um, we had a, we had a law in place, which was ridiculous that said, you know, if you get caught with marijuana, you lose your driver's license. Like that doesn't make sense at all. All we're doing with that kind of bill is punishing people and putting people even further behind where they are today. So we, I often work on bills like that to modernize the code, to sync it with a future that involves some sort of legalization of marijuana in the state of Ohio. And I'm always open to talk about those ideas in order to get people back into a position where they could be a good member of society. So continuing with helping people of color, as we saw in Virginia and Alabama, voters of color and especially black women are very much key to democratic victory. But at the same time, many voters of color, and again, especially black women, feel disenchanted with the Democratic Party, which has, especially post-2016 election, thrown people of color under the bus and claimed that our interests are a distraction from the quote-unquote bread-and-butter issues, as Bernie Sanders put it, as if the issues that affect people of color are less important and less bread-and-butter than the issues that affect white people. What is your campaign doing to reach out to voters of color and especially 
especially black women? So I've been traveling the state and I've been going to, you know, churches when I'm invited. I've been going to a lot of um, women groups specifically that meet and talk about politics, that talk about social issues, that talk about better opportunities for their futures. You know what all they want in urban communities is the same opportunities that people outside of those communities have. You know, and, and when you look and you look at some areas in Cleveland and Youngstown and a lot of our urban communities, they don't even have grocery stores. They're the last streets that get plowed when the plow trucks go and when it snows. They don't have business moving in there. So we need to incentivize that. In Youngstown, we've started a program where we're actually investing in businesses in tipping point neighborhoods. We're investing in restoration of neighborhoods in tipping point neighborhoods so that we can incentivize not only people to move there, stay there, live there, but incentivize business to go there because then you start seeing that opportunity and it feels real. But you need a politician that is going to be able to deliver that. And so it has to be a politician that understands it and goes to these places and talks to people and then actually acts on the needs of the people, doesn't just give some BS stump speech and then leave. That's the kind of stuff that I've been trying to work on when it comes to African-American outreach, specifically in the urban communities in Ohio. Increasingly, we have seen Democratic support for single payer. What do you hope to do as governor to make healthcare more affordable and accessible? And are you in support of single payer? So right now in Ohio, we're doing Medicaid expansion. This has been a contentious issue, but one that our Republican governor, John Kasich, has actually supported. And so it's something that we work together on. Increasing the number of people that have affordable, quality health care should be a goal of every single politician, not just in Ohio, but across the country. When you do that and you incentivize healthier lifestyles and you help people live healthier lifestyles, it saves money for everybody at the end. So even these folks that say it's expensive on the front end and we don't have the money, it's not fiscally responsible. It is in the long run because you save money. When it comes to single payer, I think it's something that all states should look into. And if there is a doable way to get this done, I think it's something that should be considered. But what I understand is reality in Ohio. And I understand that single payer with the number of Republicans in the General Assembly is probably not the route that a Democratic governor can actually deliver on. But what I can deliver on is continuing down the road of Medicaid expansion to get more and more Ohioans the opportunity for affordable, quality health care so that they and their children can live healthier lifestyles. Another contentious issue that's affecting many Americans is immigration. Now, even with Democrats perhaps forcing a deal on DACA in Congress, it's unlikely that under Donald Trump, we will stop seeing an assault on immigrants, particularly through ICE and the Department of Homeland Security. What do you hope to do to help undocumented Americans? And do you support making Ohio a sanctuary state? So I think we need to do a better job of humanizing this issue and taking the politics out of it. You know, I just went to a Dreamers event in Columbus, Ohio, where I talked to young people that have lived in the United States of America, specifically in Ohio, their whole life. They're working, they're paying taxes, they're college graduates, they're doing the things that all of us here that are 
legal citizens are doing, except they don't have that title. And they're concerned about their future under Donald Trump. They look like everybody else. They act like everybody else. They are doing nothing wrong in this country, and they're concerned that one day they're just going to get tossed. And that is a real concern that I, it, it hurts my stomach to think about. So I think we need to do a better job of bringing these folks forward to show their faces, to tell their stories, and pull at people's heartstrings rather than just having these you know, extreme groups explaining how this actually works and how and how people are interacting uh, in Ohio and other states. You know, as for uh, immigration, I think we need to have a real comprehensive plan that sets hard and fast rules because we just had a guy in Youngstown, Ohio, that had a store downtown Youngstown for the last 30 years that has helped the revitalization process in downtown Youngstown, that has four daughters that live in Youngstown, that has a family and helps with so many charitable events in this community. And ICE just came in and told him he had to go back to Jordan. That's the kind of stuff that we can't have occurring in this country. It will tear us apart. And as God Governor, I will do everything that I can to try to protect those rights. Now, if people are here and they're doing bad stuff, they should go if they're here illegally. Whether they're, you know, we want law-abiding citizens here, and I understand that, you know, people are go- there are going to be bad actors, and we have to deal with them. But when we have people that are living here and are good members of society. We need to respect that, and we need to incorporate them as human beings that. We, we want to have here because they're good people. Elaborating on folks that are considered bad members of society, what do you think is the new solution to criminality and crimes that you consider serious? Because we have seen a failure of mass incarceration and there aren't a lot of solutions really being proposed on that issue. So what what is the solution? What is the change that's needed? I'm a lawyer. I represent injured workers in workers' comp cases. You know, in, in law school, I worked for a judge in a drug court. And I think that that drug court model is strong. I think that, you know, once somebody makes a mistake, we need to nip it at the bud and help them reconnect their family through rehabilitation rather than incarceration when it comes to drug charges. Now, if we have people that are peddling stuff that's going to kill people like fentanyl, they got to go to jail and they should go to jail for a long time. You know, if we have people that are committing violent acts, we have to deal with that appropriately in order to protect, you know, your neighbors and your friends and your families in our communities. But anytime we can rehabilitate somebody, whether through uh, while they're incarcerated or outside of that incarceration, through halfway houses, through CCAs, through places where they are being monitored thoroughly while they're going through rehabilitation with the goal of getting them back out. That's really important. We need employers that are willing to give people second chances. Again, I go back to we're all human beings and we make mistakes. We have to be there for one another and stick up for one another and help one another. Now, I understand that when the job market is bad, it's difficult to hire anybody, but we have to remove that stigma of that guy was in trouble before, therefore he's a bad person and we need to give people opportunities because I've seen so many success stories. Once people are given that second chance, they work like a dog in order to keep it. 
Looking into your race in particular, you're running in a crowded democratic field with a lot of high-profile candidates alongside you. What makes you the best option for voters? So I think as a candidate, I'm the only one that has a track record, track record of action. So all of the bills that I've proposed have gone down the road of opportunity for people. And I think that young people this time are really excited about my candidacy because I'm the only young person in the race. The next youngest is probably 60 years old. So we have me at 38. We have 60-year-old, two 70-year-olds. And there's nothing, I'm not saying anything negative about experience, but I want people to have options. And with our team, you're going to have somebody that has fought for nine years for workers' rights, for women's rights, for LGBTQ rights, for good jobs, for quality education, fighting the opioid problem, all things that really, really matter to Ohioans. And there's no BS with me. You can see where I voted. You can see what I've done. You, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. And I want to work together with Republicans and Democrats in order to get it done. As Ohio's youngest state senator, who would be Ohio's youngest governor in nearly 150 years, why do you think it's so important to elect young Democrats to office? And what advice would you offer young Democrats hoping to seek elected office? I love it. I mean, as I travel the state, I'm seeing so many young people that are running for office in in 2017, in local school board races, city council races, township trustee races, young people, specifically Democrats, have really been successful in those races. So I think that the time is now. I think that young people are very, very busy in their life. And when I say young, I'm talking, you know, there's recent college graduates, there's recent high school graduates, all the way up to people like me with young families. You know, I have a three and a five-year-old and my wife works as a nurse. So like we have, we are very, very busy. And a lot of young people kind of press, push politics to the side because they don't have time for it or think they don't have time for it. But this year's different because people really want somebody good. And I'm telling you that most people now, they don't even affiliate themselves with a Democrat all the time mentality or Republican all the time mentality. They want a good person that understands their issues, that's really trying to fight to make their lives better. And so I think that that is the message for not only young people, but for all Ohioans. And I think it's one that is really resonating with people. And lastly, how can folks get involved in your campaign and where can they find you online? So joeforjobs.com is my website. I'm the only gubernatorial candidate that has listed specific issues, that has explained bills, that has, has explained how we're going to do things in order to give people opportunities. You know, a bill that young people are really attracted to is a bill that I have that would forgive college debt. If you go to Ohio, if you go to an Ohio university, and you buy a house within five years after graduation, the state would pick up a portion of your student debt. So that's something that's doable, it's reasonable, I can get bipartisan support on, and it incentivizes young people to buy homes in Ohio. Now at the same time you do that, you also have to invest in your incubators, in your business, in your business groups so that there are jobs for people to stay, housing isn't everything, but it's part of the puzzle. So I've explained all of those bills that we've talked about 
on this show as well as that one in a very, very detailed manner at joeforjobs.com. You know, we have our ads on there. We have links to volunteer. We have links to donate. You know, I've raised most of my money from 50 and $100 contributions from real working people that make $30,000, dollars $50,000 a year. I don't have a Rolodex of millionaires that are donating to my campaign. We're going to have to do this with hard work and grit and people coming together. Okay, well, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. It's great to hear about your candidacy. You're, of course, running in a really tough race, but I think your campaign stands out. Jordan, I appreciate the opportunity, and anytime you want me to come back on, I'd be happy to do it. All right, that would be great. So again, I'm Jordan Valerie, Editor-in-Chief of Millennial Politics. You can find me on Twitter, at Jordan Val Allen. Make sure to follow Millennial Politics on social media, subscribe to our newsletter, and check out our merch at millennialpolitics.co, and stay tuned for the next episode of our podcast. Thanks for listening.